Well, good morning. My name is Chris Edmondson, and I am one of the pastors here at OneChurch.tv. I am so glad to be with you guys. Um, I got big shoes to fill because Pastor Carlo, uh, he brought a fantastic sermon last week, and there's just a lot of pressure. Okay, so I hope you'll cut me some slack. If this is your first time here, we're so glad that you're here. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Uh, if you're actually in the room, if you're hanging out in the video theater, or if you're watching us uh, online or on Facebook, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We're in uh, uh, actually part two um, of a series we're calling Compelled, where we're going through the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And the book of Acts is all about the church. It's all about how the church got started. Have you ever thought, wondered about that? I mean, now you look at churches today, you know, 2018, there's literally, I mean, literally like millions of churches everywhere. And you're like, where did, where, how did all this get traction? You're like, where did it all come from? And that's where we're studying. It all came from one person, Jesus. Uh, he was this Jewish man who was the Messiah, and he uh, got 12 uh, of his Jewish friends, and they became disciples. And uh, he preached and hung out with these uh, uh, the Jewish disciples for about three and a half years. He was killed. He was buried. He was resurrected. And in Acts chapter 1, uh, he pretty much said, guys, I'm going to go be with my father. And that's how it all happened. And then Peter preached one day, and 3,000 Jews came to know Jesus Christ. They began a relationship with him. They got saved in one day. Um, and how all of this kind of started, it was all started with a bunch of Jewish people. And it, as it progressed throughout uh, in the book of Acts, everybody just kind of making the assumption, well, in order to become a Christian, you kind of have to be Jewish first, because it all kind of started with the Jews. I mean, the Jews, they had their own Bible. Uh, they had their own language, Hebrew. Uh, they knew all the customs. Uh, and to be a Christian, they knew all the stories of David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's den and all this stuff. And they just had their own meeting places called synagogues, which was like Jewish churches that met on Saturdays. And it all kind of started getting this assumption that before you become a Christian, you got to first become a Jew, that before you started following Jesus, you got to first start following Moses. And that's kind of how it all started. But you hear this guy by the name of Paul. And we, uh, uh, Carlo's been teaching on Paul some. He went on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. And he goes to all of these different places all over Europe, and he's telling people about Jesus. In fact, there is a, a, a map that's going to be behind my head, and these are all the different places where Paul actually shared his faith, started churches in all of these different areas. And he shows up to these non-Jewish people, Gentile people, and here's what he says. That in order to get right with God, the only thing you need to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. It was very simple. You didn't have to change anything. You didn't have to clean yourself up. You didn't have to follow Moses. You didn't have to become Jewish. You just needed to follow Jesus. And what's so crazy is Paul going out and telling this and making this very simple, it created some controversy. It created some conflict within the early church, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. How many of y'all, you've ever been in churches that had conflict? Let me hear you. And it's never fun, Right? I mean, we're going, whoo, but inside we're going, ugh, right? It's just not fun. Well, here's what you need to know. The early church had conflict and controversies as well. And the reason why churches have conflicts and controversies is because there is no perfect church. Did you know that? Because if there was a perfect church, if you joined it, it would be imperfect. Because churches are made up of imperfect people. We're all jacked up. We're all messed up. The Bible says we're all sinners, 
But yet, we see this early church have this conflict, and it all centers around this whole idea of truth and grace and forgiveness. And this is maybe some controversy that you have maybe kind of grew up in church hearing about. Maybe some of you bounced out of church because of this. Uh, it's some questions that you had that you kind of spelunked around the faith. And, and it really centered around this one question, who should be a part of the church? Who should be a part of the church? And who gets in? And how good do you have to be? I mean, do you have to stop doing that, and do you have to stop looking at that, and do you have to stop going to those places, and how many rules do you have to keep, and how holy do you have to be, and how much of your lifestyle do you have to change before you can become a part of the church? How good do you have to be to become a Christ follower? The controversy, I'll be honest with you, is very understandable. If you understood, especially the first century, you had this group of people, the Jews, who had Ten Commandments. In fact, how many of y'all, you could like name some of the Ten Commandments? Let me hear you. All right, probably not all ten, right? But we could like get the biggies, right? Don't commit adultery, don't steal, right? Uh, some of these things, big ones. They had those Ten Commandments, but they had 603 more commandments. To be a Jew, you had to follow 613 commandments, Right now, I'm reading through some of the Old Testament, and just, man, sometimes it can be laborious because of don't do this and don't touch that and, you know, jump this high. And it's just like, what? It's all this stuff and do's and don'ts. And some of you, that's kind of what you think of Christianity. And I get that. I totally get that. And then Paul is out here talking to these Gentile believers saying, it's just simple. You ain't got to do the do's and the don'ts. You ain't got to do all that. All you got to do is begin a relationship with God through Jesus. And for many of us, again, it's this tension of why many of you or us, we dropped out of churches because I don't know if I can be that good. And I don't even know if I want to be that good. You ever notice that some of the people that look like they're the most holy look like they're having the worst time, right? It's like, I don't know if I want to be that good. You don't look like you're having a good time at all, right? It gets crazy like this. Now, let me just simply acknowledge this. If you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for more than 10 years, if you grew up in the church, here's our tension, because I grew up in the church, is that we understand that there is a part of Christianity that has this moral standard. That there are these ethical standards that throughout the New Testament, I mean, you're supposed to uh, do this and treat your husband a certain way and don't lie and don't cheat and treat your wife a certain way. Uh, there are some do's and don'ts. I mean, we do have the Ten Commandments. There is this moral imperative. And yet at the same time, even though we have all of this truth, we have this grace and love and forgiveness. And that's just kind of sometimes that can come into conflict. And, and, and the truth of the gospel, it seems, comes into conflict with the grace of the gospel. And where there's conflict, let's just be honest, sometimes church people get a little weird. Church people start to build walls instead of uh, building bridges. And we start building barriers, and we, wanna, we want you to be a part of our church, but before you come, you've got to change, you've got to look a certain way, you've got to start doing this. And this is just natural conflict. But here's the amazing thing. When Jesus did his ministry... When Jesus interacted with sinners, I mean, here's Jesus, God in a bod, God in a body. He is the most perfect, he is the most holy, he is the most righteous person, and he hung out with the most unholy, the, mo the most un imperfect, the most unrighteous people. And when John, one of his friends who wrote the book of John, when John is watching Jesus' interaction with adulterers and prostitutes and sinners, here's what 
John writes about Jesus. The Word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's God in the bod. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Now here's this phrase coming up. He's full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Now here's what John is saying. John is saying this. When I think about how Jesus interacted with people, when I think about the time I spent with Jesus, Jesus was grace and truth. Jesus wasn't the balance of grace and truth. You see, that's what churches, that's what we want to do. Is okay, we got to protect truth, so that means we can't hang out with certain groups of people, and we have to picket certain groups of people, and that means we can't minister or love certain groups of people. We have to keep this balance. But Jesus was not balanced when it comes to grace and truth. He was the embodiment of grace. He was the embodiment of truth. He was 100% grace, 100% truth. And yet so many times churches, we feel like in order to show grace to a group of people, then we're skirting on truth. Or, you know what, we're going to stick to God's word, we're going to do it, and then we, it makes us look like we hate groups of people. And there's this tension between grace and truth. And that's what I want to talk about today. So I want to talk about this because we struggle through this. This is why some people hate Christians. This is why some people hate the church. This is the reason why some people like hate groups of people because in order to f- love them, then that means I have to abandon what God's word has to say. And we're going to see today, it's not either or. It's both and. All right, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And I'm just going to warn you, if you have a a child in here today, there's a word that you're going to have to teach them later um, that you're not going to have fun teaching them. So we have wonderful children's environments. Heather and and Sierra and so many of other folks do fantastic jobs teaching teaching our kids. So you might want to take them in there now. All right, warning done. All right, Acts 15, So some men came down from Judea, that's the capital where it was all going on, to Antioch. And by the way, Antioch was the very first place that people from the way were called Christians. This is really interesting. They were teaching the brothers, those are other Christians, believers, unless you are what? Yep, that's it. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be what? That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? Think about that. I won't. And listen, they were dead serious. I mean, we kind of laugh about that today, but they were like, listen, you have to have surgery before you can come to know Jesus. I mean, think about that. I mean, uh, you know, some of you, you went to the church that you know, down front, they kind of fill out the cards, you know, date of, you know, membership, date of circumcision. What? <laughs> what? I mean, I mean, for, I mean, think about this. The new members class were all women. Because the men were like, I don't think I love Jesus that much. I just, I'm telling you. So this is going to hurt, right? I mean, it's, it's not. But they were totally serious. Totally serious about this. They really believed that before someone could follow Jesus, you've got to follow Moses. That means you've got to have some surgery. Scalpel. All right? Charged to 300. Clear. Right? Here it goes. Verse 2. This brought Paul. By the way, he's the guy telling all the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, it's simple. Just come to know God. 
This brought Paul into sharp dispute and debate with them. <laughs> I guess so. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem uh, and, uh, and to see the apostles to figure out, do people need surgery or not? And the elders to ask about this question. What was the question? Very simple. Who can be a part of the church? How good do you have to be? How much of Mosaic law do you have to follow? Do you have to have surgery? Isn't that crazy? Now, verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they welcomed, uh, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Andrew, all those, to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. So Paul says, listen, I've been to all of those cities that was on the map. I've started these churches. I've went down telling people, guys, it's simple. You don't have to start doing this, and you got to start not doing this. And I mean, you, don't, you ain't got to like get tattoos removed or get pierced. No, it's just it's just simple. Come to faith in Jesus. And guys, I've been telling people that, and guess what? People have been coming to faith in Jesus, and now you guys are sending a mixed message. You guys are muddy in the water here. We got to figure this out. So they figure it out. Verse five. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the what? Pharisees. Now, this is so cool. Pharisees, those were the religious people that hated Jesus and ended up getting Jesus killed. You see, some of the party of the Pharisees, they actually start believing in Jesus. Isn't that crazy? I mean, the people who killed Jesus, Jesus died, was resurrected on third day, and he's like alive going, hey, remember me? When he said, I'll be back, right? He, became, he got back. Right? And this kind of, boom, blew the minds of the Pharisees. And they're like, you know what? I guess I'm going to believe that he is God. That's pretty cool. Here's what happens. The Pharisees say this. They stand up and they say, Gentiles, yes, they must be circumcised. They got to have surgery. And they're required to keep the law of Moses. All right. So surgery isn't enough. You must now keep the 613 laws and you must get circumcised. Isn't it crazy how when you kind of start creating standards, the standards start changing? You know what I mean by that? You got to do this, and then you start doing that. Oh, and then you got to do this. Oh, and if you're going to be a part of this, you got to stop doing this. And it's like every time you think you got it, that's when oh, you never do make it. Why? Because the standard keeps on changing. And Paul's like, TV time out. That standard's messed up. It's not about circumcision. It's not about keeping the laws of Moses. And Gentiles are like, Paul's saying, listen, I didn't tell them that we got to get this right. This doesn't fit our version. So, verse 7. Look at this. After much discussion, Peter. Now, let me tell you about Peter. Peter was kind of like the president of the church. In fact, if you grew up Catholic, you believe that he was the first pope. He was the, he's like the authority figure in the room. And by the way, this is interesting. This is the last time we will really read of Peter throughout the book of Acts. The rest of it is just about Paul. But Peter, he stands up the room and he and James, the brother of Jesus, start having these discussions. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips that the message of the gospel and believe. So Peter is saying, this isn't just a Paul going around to the Gentiles saying, I've done this as well. I remember that time I hung out in Cornelius' house, and he was the Roman centurion. By the way, that's Acts chapter 10. You can go back and look at the app, read it. So he says, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And, and look at this. God who knows the what? God who knows the 
heart. So let's stop right there. Do you believe that? You see, here's the thing. I don't know your heart. I don't. I just know your behavior. I don't know your heart. I just know how you dress. I don't know your heart. I just know some of those jacked up things you guys post on Facebook. I, I don't know your heart, but I know what you, your markings on your body. I don't know your heart, but I know you've got piercings where? I don't know your heart, but I know the type of music you listen to. I don't know your heart, but I know the, the four-letter words that you say. I don't know the heart, your heart, but I know you don't keep your yard straight. Anybody have neighbors in your neighborhood that just like they can't ever keep the yawn mode? Right? I don't know your heart, but I know you park your car out on the street. Do you not have a, a driveway? I don't know your heart, but I can see your externals, and they don't seem to match up in my eyes. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them. They don't even know the law. They don't even know the Ten Commandments. They don't even know the 613 Commandments. He accepted them, look at this, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. So they're going, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So, I mean, they don't know all that stuff we do, and we're kind of both accepted. God, who made no distinction between us and them, the, he made no distinction between us, the apostles, the good Jewish boys, the circumcised, and those, un he made no distinction for he purified their hearts, how? By faith, not by works. He purified their heart not by um, uh, what they did and the externals and them stop doing this and start doing this. He purified their hearts by faith, to which the Pharisees, okay, God may have purified their hearts by faith, but they still got a long way to go when it comes to those Gentile habits. I mean, come on. They're still eating ham. Come on. I mean, they may have their hearts purified, but they don't eat right, they don't act right, they don't dress right. Again, how many of y'all, you've ever felt that way ever going to a church? I have. You never do quite ever meet the standard. But Peter says, listen, it's not about our standards. It's about God's standard. He made no distinction, verse 10. Now then, why do you try to what? Test God... How do we test God? By burdening Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. So Peter's like, listen, guys, you don't even follow the law of Moses. I can't even follow the law of Mo Moses. I just can't do it. Frank, listen, Frank, I saw you last week. You were at the temple offering a sin offering. Frank, you, you sin, right? I, I, guess, I guess so, Pete. Yeah, I, I sin. Okay, it, so you don't keep the law of Moses perfectly. Well, that's correct. Well, then why are you forcing somebody else who doesn't even have our customs and our thoughts? Why are you trying to put that on them? You can't even do it. Bill, you, listen, Bill, I, everybody knows how jacked up you are, Bill. All right? You post it on your, on your Israelite Facebook page, right? And, and everybody's like, I mean, I saw you. You ate bacon yesterday. Seriously. Oh, my gosh. Right? You didn't follow it, right? So why are you going to make other people hate on bacon? Right? I mean, come on. <laughs> he continues. I love this. Verse 11. Peter says, no, we believe that it is through what? Grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And because God knows the heart. And that's, that's so interesting. Here's our big idea today. 
Here's the, the big thing we're talking about that I want you to wrap your mind around, is that God can change your heart before you have to change your life. Do you know that? You see, some of you, the reason why you don't come to church is you're like, you, I just can't be that good. Let me tell you. Can I be honest with you? I know you don't know me. I know a lot of the people in this church. They're, some of them aren't, they're, they're not good at all. In fact, some of you, I mean, you're, you're, if this is your first time here, you're hanging out with some folks and you kind of put your purse over there, you need to go ahead and grab that bag. Okay? I'm telling you. You see, here's my point. Here's Peter's point. We're all messed up. We all are screw-ups. None of us are perfect. That's what he's saying. And we don't have to become perfect before we can come to God. You see, God can purify our heart before he, you have to purify your life. God can purify your heart before you have to drop that nasty habit. God can purify your heart before you have to stop saying those four-letter words. God can purify your heart before you don't have to stop smoking to become a Christian. You don't have to stop looking at this or stop reading this to become a Christian. It has nothing to do with your actions. It has everything to do with who you put your faith and trust in God. So Peter's he answers the question, who should be a part of the church? Answer, everybody. Everybody. How good do you have to be, though, Pete? Well, it's not about how good you are. It's about Jesus. How many rules do you have to keep? Well, it's not about keeping rules. It's about Jesus. How holy do you have to be? Jesus is holy. It's about Jesus. How much of your lifestyle do you have to change to clean up before you can be accepted by us? No, no. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. Thank you. It's about Jesus. The church is for everyone. It's for misbelievers. It's for misbehaviors. And that's one of our core values. Here's one of our core values. I love this. That we invite everybody to belong. Do you know that everybody can be a part of our church? That heterosexuals, homosexuals, people who are addicted to porn, people who struggle loving their wives, people who voted for Trump, people who voted for Hillary, people who didn't vote at all, anybody and everybody can be a part of God's family. Isn't that pretty cool? That you don't have to stop doing this. You don't have to start doing this. In fact, we don't even care what you believe up to this point. I mean, think about this. When, when Jesus chose, chose his 12 disciples, at the beginning, none of them believed that he was God. They didn't believe right. But Jesus says, now you can belong. Here's what I know. If we invite you to belong and you hang out with us, guess what? Some things are going to change. Right? I hope that the way you believe will start to change. I really do. I hope that the way we behave will start to change. I really do. But see, this is an all-skate. This is just y'all come, right? Everybody, how many of y'all, you from the South? Let me hear you. Y'all. Y'all come. Y'all, some of y'all, like the other day, somebody came to my mom's house, and my mom, as they left, said, y'all come back now, you hear? And this person really believed what mom was saying. So you got to be careful what you say when you say to y'all. I'm saying y'all invited, right? So, and by the way, everybody's invited to my mom's house. Her address is, I'm just joking. Anyway, here's my point. So here's what's so interesting. Peter ends it, and then we go to James. And James, he is, who is James? He is the brother of Jesus. Now, here's what's so cool about this. While Jesus was alive... Before he was killed, James didn't believe in his brother being the son of God. It was only once Jesus was killed and resurrected, that's when James was like, huh, I probably should follow that dude, 
right? Think about this. That James really believed that Jesus was God is really all the proof that you need that Jesus is God. And here's the reason why. How many of y'all who have brothers and sisters, what would it take for your brother or sister to convince you that they are the, they are the son or daughter of God? Right? Some of you are like, uh, they could take a piece of toast and feed all of Titan Stadium, and I still wouldn't believe. That's my point, right? Jesus, uh, James believed in Jesus, that he is the Son of God. And here's what James, he got up and he said, verse 19, and this verse is, is, is literally, it's on the wall in my office. It's such a watershed moment for the, our church, but also the church. It is my judgment, James says, this is my conclusion, I've heard both sides, Therefore, that we should, let's all say it together, not make it difficult. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Guys, I've heard the debate. I've heard both sides. I know we have a moral standard. I know we have truth. I know we can't compromise on truth. But here's what I also know. I know that Jesus is grace and Jesus is forgiveness. And there's tension there. And we're just going to have to learn and to live with the tension. We can't make it difficult. Bottom line, as we keep this movement going and alive, it begins to circle the grove. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Anything that makes it difficult for people who are turning to God, we are actually working against God because we're testing God. We've got to remove it if we can. It doesn't mean we change truth. It doesn't mean we, 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 we stop loving people. It means we have to, this is about outreach. This is about who's not yet here. And the church dodges here the first big split. And you know what the split was over? Moral imperatives, standards, truth, the right thing. And are we really going to love everybody? You know what, that, that same issue, man, the church is struggling with today. We see churches picketing. In, in, in doing all kinds of awful things to human individuals. I mean, just the homosexual community alone. I'm going to be talking about this in a few weeks. But I'm telling you, the church has lost so much influence because, let me tell you, homosexuals believe that we are against them, that we hate them. And let me tell you, we don't, we're not called to hate anyone. We are called to love Everyone, I'm going to be talking about this. So it's three things I want us to watch. I'm going to go through these quickly because I want to land on one really hard. First, we've got to avoid the drift from insiders and away from outsiders. All right? I love everybody who's been a part of One Church. i got people here, and i got a couple here on the front row. I'm doing community group with them. Finally, they're amazing couples. They've been here forever, forever, and I'm so glad that they're here. But here's the thing. Here's what I have to remind myself. It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. Some of you, you don't like the style of music we, good, we, we, we sing. Okay, that's fine. You ain't got to like it. But why we do it is we want to reach people who don't know Jesus. The reason why we don't have an organ, number one, is because I don't like organs. But two is because how many of y'all listened to organ music when you came to church this morning on the radio? No hands. We're trying to reach people who are far away from Jesus. So we gotta, we got to worry about our drift, okay? And if you're here and you've been here for a while, I'm so glad you're here joining us with the mission of reaching people who don't know Jesus. Number two, the drift toward law and away from grace. Remember, Jesus wasn't the balance of grace and truth. Jesus embodied both. Let's first talk about truth. 
Jesus always raised the bar morally. You know that? When, when in, the, in the Torah, in the law, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, hey, you know, Moses said, but I say. Moses said, hey, don't commit adultery, but I say, if you just look at a woman with lust in your eye, uh, don't, don't kill, but that's what Moses said. But I say, if you're even angry at somebody, right? And he raises the bar every single time. And, and it's like Jesus elevates the law so high, so the standard is so high, so that no one could possibly attain it. He raises the standard, and everybody's like, well, if that's the case, I'm doomed. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. And then Jesus died for all the doomed people. You see, it's not about compromising truth. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory and standard of God. We fall short because Jesus raised the standard. Jesus never dumbed down the truth, and Jesus never skipped on the grace. Did you know that? And it's so easy for us to get in categories and policies. So many times people ask me, what's the policy of our church? And, and they'll fill in the blank. And you know what I say? We have no policies. We don't. What's your policy? When it, well, we don't have policy. You know what we have? We have conversations. If you want to know how I stand and what we do and how I stand on the issue, I'm never going to give you a policy. A little short little email, a little tweet bing, out there. Those little things are like knives and daggers and, and ammunition. That's what I'm thinking. Bullets. <laughs> Struggle is real, people. Anyway, but I don't mind having a conversation with you because you know what? Conversations are messy. Jesus had conversations with people, right? I mean, he didn't do categories. He did conversations. Think about this. Jesus, he meets with the woman at the well. In the category, she's a Samaritan woman. So what should the policy, the Jewish policy was that you ignored Samaritans. You hated them. You know what, Jesus, he ignored the policies. He ignored the categories. He had a conversation. Or, or what about Matthew, the tax collector, the, the category tax collector, Jewish policy, you get rid of, you don't, you don't even go to their house. Jesus like, eh, I ain't going to catch cooties from them. So Jesus says, hey, Matthew, what are you doing? Let, I want to come to your house. Let's have a party together. Party? Jesus party? You better believe it. Right? And Jesus had a conversation. The woman caught in adultery. And everybody's looking at her. And everybody's wanting to stone her and condemn her. The category, adulterer. Some of you, you know what that category feels like. And Jesus' policy, I mean, the, the Mosaic policy is you're supposed to kill her, stone her. You know what Jesus said? Go stone yourself, crowd. Some of you, y'all did that last night. Just saying, all right? Then Jesus had a conversation with her. Jesus said, you know what? I don't condemn you. Stop sinning. Go and find life. See, Jesus had conversations I mean, I love that. The churches, we are to be okay with the messiness of no policies and no categories, but just have conversations. It means we don't compromise on truth, but we also have full-on grace. Policies are, and categories are easy. You know what I mean by that? They're easy. Conversations are messy. Policy and categories, no, you've got to stop doing that, and then you become a part of us. Conver no, uh, conversations like, you know what, we're going to love you anyway. We're going to love you. The third one is this. You've got to distinguish between theology and ministry. Let me just tell you why this is important. Because theology is what you believe, right? Theology is what you believe. And ministry is how you, what you do for others as a result for what you believe. We must distinguish between theology and ministry because if we don't, 
uh, we're going to find it hard to love groups of people. Jesus never allowed his perfect theology to get in the way of his ministry. Jesus' perfect theology is what freed him to minister to everyone, even an adulterer, even a tax collector, even a Samaritan woman. I love this part right here. Listen to this. This is so very important. If what you believe is an obstacle for you to love someone who breathes, then you need to change what you believe. You hear what I'm saying, folks? Let me say that one more time. If what you believe is an obstacle for you to love someone who breathes, then you must change what you believe. Why? Because Jesus, who had the most perfect theology, he was the son of God. He loved everyone. For God so loved the world. So even if you don't agree in who they vote and what lifestyle choice they make or any of that, we are called to love because they will know that we are Christians by our love. How we love people. Love. We love everyone. Love is what will change the world. But what about truth? I know what some of you are saying. Well, we can't. Are we compromising on truth? No. We present the ideal, but guess what? We have to live in the real world. You hear what I'm saying? I I want to teach the ideal. We teach the word. We will do that. But I also, as I teach it, sometimes as I'm teaching, I'm going, I am really messed up. I don't know if I can teach this because I'm I'm that jacked up. I understand the real world. So there is this tension between grace and truth, real and ideal. And we got to live within that tension. It's messy and it's okay. Because God has called us to love messy people. And aren't you guys, aren't you guys great? I, I just make that happy because how many of y'all have been messy at one time or another? How many of y'all will be messy? Let me just answer that question for you. Y'all, okay? Y'all all will. Right? And so will I. So let's not become Pharisees and point fingers saying, you've got to change before you, we can accept you. No, we're just going to say, y'all come. Y'all come. And we're going to love you, even though you're maybe a little messed up. And I hope you'll love us, because I'm a little messed up. And in the end, we're going to see more and more people come to know Jesus. Not because we're good. Because we're pointing them to a God who is good. Let's pray. God, you are a good God. And God, I, I feel like over the past 10 years for us as a church, I feel like we, we've gotten this one right. We've gotten so much other stuff wrong. But God, thank you so much for reminding us that it's not about protecting truth. It's not about doing anything like that, it, 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 it really is about, yes, reading the ideal and understanding the ideal, but just accepting real people where they are, with warts and all, that we will love them, they will love us, and as we are both, all of us imperfect, as we worship a perfect God, that day after day, you will make us more like your son, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for meeting with us today. God, I pray for those folks here in Clarksville who are affected by the storms. God, I pray for them. I pray for those people in the Farmington neighborhood, God. Lord, the closest church to them is Life Point, God. And I pray for Life Point today. Pastor Mike, 
Lord, would be able to show them hope, show them a, a God who loves them. And God, I pray for us, as for so many of us, God, you have given us so much. Thank you so much for blessing us, and I pray that we would continue to be a blessing to others. For it's in Jesus' great big name that we pray. Amen. Guys, has it been good being at church this morning? It has. Guys, thank you all so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you all so much for coming. Pastor Carl is going to be back next week for Compelled. We'll see you next week at OneChurch.tv.